Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. You know, we look uh, and we're walking through the book of Jonah. And as we think about just the greatness of our God and his relentless pursuit and just the way that he just works in our life, you know, as David was sharing, we we see that just this reality that uh, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And there's this thought, you know, that is, think about how my kids will walk alongside me, especially when they were little. And if they got in dangerous places and they got in difficult spots, you know, they would reach up and they would grab my hand. And there's that thought, you know, that they're just holding on with everything that they have. And our role, right, we are to hold on to the vine with everything that we have. But I want to remind you this morning that much greater than that, is we have a father who loves us and is holding on to us in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties. And we are in the midst of a sermon series called Thriving in the Wild. We are in the midst of uh, just this uh, story that we read in scripture uh, of Jonah. And we're, we're in the wild this morning. And we're going to be in a spot in the scriptures that maybe is the wildest spot in the scriptures where we find Jonah uh, in the belly of this uh, big fish, right? We find uh, this, uh, this reality of God working, and, and Jonah finds himself in the midst of the depths of the sea. And today's word is vomit. Um, this will be the second time that I've ever preached on vomit. Um, first one was this morning and uh, the early service. I told a few stories, and... Um, between services, I, I found out that somebody threw up outside and um, met some guests this morning cleaning up vomit outside. And so, um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And y'all bear with me. Any, any, uh, anybody in here maybe sympathetic when somebody vomits and you are around that and you're like, oh man, like I can't. My wife is that way. One of my, you know, as a kid growing up, you don't really pay attention to, to like what you have to deal with, you know, as a parent later or maybe even as a spouse. And my first kind of time that really stands out when I hear the word vomit, I think of when Sherry and I had first gotten married. We got married in December and it was still cold in our first year of marriage. And uh, in the night, she, she began uh, to, to vomit. And nobody prepares you really for that. Like, and I can remember, like, I've come a long way. Like, God has worked a long way in, in me in the midst of these years. But I can remember, like, after so many times just looking at her and going, stop! <laughs> and, and then I can remember her looking at me and going, I want my mama. <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> I wanted her too, like anybody, right? Because <laughs> I just needed that help right then. Um, later we had kids and, you know, all of us have a story, right? When we think about vomit, it's like before the fall, no vomit. It's like the porcelain great white throne judgment in the midst that we like walking through. Right? We're, we're experiencing some, I know I should stop. <laughs> Sorry. So my kids, there, there's a point to all this, I promise. And so, so my kids, so Hope is a young, young little girl and she, 
I don't remember exactly how old she was, but she was tiny, and she had gotten, we, we got one of those little toddler beds, you know, they get out of their crib, and then you put them in the little toddler bed, and they can get out on their own, you know, we don't have them like in prison anymore, and all that, and so like when they need you, they just come to your room, and so, so in the middle of the night, but the way our bedroom's set up, I'm on this side, so she walks in, and and she looks at me, like wakes me up in the middle of the night, and I'm startled by all this, and, and I don't know that she used the word vomit, but she just looked at me, and she's like, I'm sick, I'm going to throw up. And, and at that moment, like you're from a deep sleep, and you know, like when you, you know what's happening next. So I immediately, you know, burst to my feet, and, and I get her, and, and I turn her around, because like, <laughs> I mean... You know, so, so I'm, I take off with her and I'm running and she, she vomits and, and I step in it. I think she'd been drinking like motor oil or something because it was so slick. It was so slick. And, and so, so I slide and, and the door is open. There's a little doorknob sitting out. Some of y'all remember like, like the second her head hit the doorknob, it it hit her right in the eye, and, and immediately her eyes, it was like, an, I don't know what you call this besides like awful, but like it, her eyes swelled shut immediately and immediately turned black, right? And when you looked at it, like me and her mom were like, oh, you know, we're like, so we take her to the doctor the next day, and anytime you take your kid in and look like she got hit by a Mack truck in the eye, they're, they're looking at you pretty hard, you know, like when, when I broke my shoulder on the trampoline, like, you know, you go in there and they look at you and Sherry and I went in, and they're interviewing us, and they're like, do you feel safe at home? I'm like, looking at Sherry, I'm like. And so they're, they're asking Hope all these questions, you know, and they're like, what happened? And so we're telling this story, and the doctor looked at us, and he's like, you know, normally, he said, I probably should like call social services or something, but he said, ain't nobody can make up a story uh, like that. And so... When we think of the word vomit, right, it brings back memories in our life that are not good, right? We, we think about those moments. We think about uh, something that comes to mind. You know, there's, a, there's all these things that associate with that. And we're going to read in chapter 2, verse 10, as we close today, we're going to read and we're going to see the word vomit. And when we see that word, the word in Hebrew that's used is a word that meant something to them in that time. And so we're going to look at that, and it, it had a, a significance to them. It was very important when we, when we read uh, the first five books of Scripture, when we look at the Torah, when we look uh, at those uh, uh, books, we see this word used, and, and there's several examples that we could look at. I'm going to give you just a, a reference in Leviticus, but in this passage, God is reminding uh, his people, that as a nation, that they're called to be faithful to this covenant, that they're called to be faithful uh, to the Mosaic covenant, right? That his people were to be holy because he is holy. He, he gives them this instruction that as a nation, they're not to defile themselves as the surrounding nations had. And in verse 24 of Leviticus 18, uh, it'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. We're going to be in Jonah. But Scripture says this, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things. For by all these things, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. And therefore, I've brought its punishment upon it. So the land has vomited or spewed out 
its inhabitants. Same word. Later in this same context, the Lord reminds them what would happen to them in the land that he would give them. He reminds them that if you defile this land, if you defile my word, he said, this land will vomit you out just as it did those before you. And so we see this picture, right, that, that if, if the people had unfaithful hearts, right, Mark Yarbrough, who teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary and is, is part of the expositional preaching stuff that, that I'm in, he, he talks about this and, and gives us just reality that, that God said that if, if the people had unfaithful hearts, that he would vomit them out. This is the picture that we see in this story, right? In, in, in this passage, right, we see it fall in line with what we'd read in Deuteronomy 28, where God would tell them that, hey, you're going to be blessed, right? As you follow my commands, as you walk in obedience, uh, you're going to be blessed, right, with crops, and you're going to be blessed with kids. You're going to be blessed with abundance. But if you don't follow me, then he would vomit them out of the land. Now, it's interesting in the time that we're looking at, we see Jeroboam the second round, we see this, this reality that there's a people, right, that God's people, that, that they're, they're spiritually in a mess, right, that on the outside, things look good, right? Externally, things look good. There's prospering, there, there's things like that. But on the inside, we see a people that were far from the faithfulness that God desires that his people walk in. And so as we read the story of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2, Today, I want you to, I want you to keep that, that lens in perspective. In, in chapter one, we saw that God said go and Jonah said no, right? That's, that's what we began this. And, and it begins this spiral, right? We see the words down, down, down. He went down to Joppa. And last week we said there's always a boat waiting at Joppa. Like as we uh, walk in this world, there's always a boat ready to take us the other direction. Satan uh, is a thief and a liar, right? And, and he, uh, he loves and desires. There's always a boat ready. And sometimes we mistake uh, this boat that's ready for somehow God's will. It's like, well, I know I was going the other way and I know I didn't do what God said, but look how great things worked out for me. I mean, I met this new guy. I know my marriage is over, but I met this new guy. And man, I mean, look how, and, and all these things. And somehow people say, hey, you know what? God must be in that. Uh, but what we see is that Satan always has a boat at Joppa. There's always one ready to take you the other way. Now, this story is not a story about a boat at Joppa. It's not a story really about a disobedient prophet. It's not a story about a great fish that God has appointed. It's not a story about any of those things, but it's a story about a great God whose faithfulness reaches in to the depths and his relentless love, right, and his amazing grace. You know, I look back and I see Hugh and I think of his testimony, and he's a God that reaches into the lowest of lows in the moments where we are broken in the midst of that, a God who pursues us in the depths, right? Jonah went down, 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 and we see God's compassion. We see his compassion for all nations. We see his compassion for the Ninevites. We see his compassion as he pursued these sailors right in the midst of the storm. We see this undeserved and unexpected grace. We see when we read chapter 2, we're going to see Jonah was not expecting it either. We're going to see that this grace of this, this giant fish, right? We're going to see that, that Jonah was, was not expecting it. And can I remind you that God's mercy and grace that it is always when we experience it and it changes us like it did Hugh Brown and we saw in that testimony when we experience it, it is always unexpected and it is always undeserved. Now, we have a God who loves us in spite of us, right? These sailors, they had tossed Jonah overboard and when they did, the seas became still. The seas became uh, calm, right? And these sailors began to worship Yahweh. They began to worship the one true God. And in verse 16, Jonah chapter 1 
we read this. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, you're going to see in Jonah chapter 2, you're going to see him making some promises. You're going to see him saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do all these things. You're going to see this perspective that he has, but the only sacrifice that you're going to see is of these sailors when we read this book. And it says that, that the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Uh, chapter 1, verse 17, by the way, in the Hebrew uh, scriptures, it's, it's the first verse of chapter 2, just an interesting uh, take there. But it says this, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Verse 1, chapter 2, uh, in your translation, says this, the, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Now, this is what I like to call a foxhole prayer. This is Jonah is in a mess right now. And I'm talking about a big mess. Look at the rest of these words. He says, for you had cast me into the deep. Now, notice that we read in chapter one uh, that these sailors threw him in, right? But Jonah recognizes where all that comes from. He said, you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current uh, had engulfed me. I want you to just picture this, this incredible picture that Jonah's painting right here. And he says, all your, your breakers and your billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again to your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death, right? Like I, I used to picture Jonah like when I was younger and I would hear the stories and read the children's books that like there's this little cute whale fish looking thing and like Jonah gets thrown over and it's like a dry fly floating across the water. Like as soon as he hits like that, whoosh. That's what I picture, but that's not what the scripture says. He says, water had encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the root of the mountains. The earth with its bars were around me forever. But you have brought my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. So Jonah gives us an example here. He cries out in the midst of affliction. He cries out in the midst of uh, this mess that he has found himself in. And as you read these words, we don't have time to cross-reference all this, but as you read these words, what you find is that this prophet was quoting from the Psalms, right? We see that, that he was quoting the psalmist and he was taking different Psalms and he pieced them together into this, this prayer that's there. And so here's this prophet who knows the word of God, but what we see in the book of Jonah is that he knew the word of God, but his life and his heart was far from the heart of the Father. See, he was missing the heart of the Father. The first thing today I want you to see when we think about how we thrive in the midst of the wild is that God's people thrive when our response to the Word of God results in reflecting the heart of God. So when we read the Word of God and our response and our heart reflects His heart, that we desire to love people. I love how you said, you know, I didn't have a capacity to love God gives us a new heart. And we, through the power of the gospel, right, that we're not left in the state of Jonah, right, that we have the capacity to love. He says this in verse 7, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you. Now, notice Jonah's saying, hey, God, I don't know if you've ever prayed like this, but you've been in a mess of some sort, and I've done this more times than I would like to admit, but you've been in a mess of some sort, and you've said, God, if you'll just get me out of this mess, like, I'll sacrifice, I'll do, I, like, I'm going to do all these things, I, I'm going to, 
I'm going to be in church on Sunday. I'm going to go. I'm going to even go on Wednesday. And like, I'm going to get in a Bible study. And I'll probably get in a D group. And like, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this, if you'll help me in this situation. We have those kind of prayers. It's kind of those kind of prayers in distress where we cry out. That's the kind of picture uh, that I see here. He says, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Now, we're going to look and we're going to see in these verses that what we don't see is repentance, right? What we What is missing from this chapter, we see Jonah has a lot of good words, right? We see him use a lot of flowery things, but what we see him is not addressed. Like when he says, and, and I get that like idolatry is the root really of all sin, but, but what we see is Jonah's saying all these flowery things and then he's talking about those who uh, in, in verse... Uh, Verse 8, he says, those who regard vain idols and forsake their faithfulness, he, he recognizes everybody's sin but his own, right? And sometimes we can be guilty of that, right? We, we can be guilty of, hey, w- we look around and we can see lost people, right? And they're doing what lost people do, right? And it's really easy for us to look at them and say, oh, they're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing this. And, and we can look as believers and we can see other people. And we, we've heard so many times in church that we're to love the sinner and what? hate the sin, right? But the scripture would teach us that we're to love the sinner and hate our sin, right? That we should look in our lives and it should, should wreck us, right? That, that, that the way in, in light of God's grace and his mercy and his goodness in our life. He says, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord, right? Religious people, they believe salvation belongs to themselves, right? That if you work and if you do this and if you do that, that somehow you'll work and you'll earn your way into all these things. But the the gospel declares that salvation belongs to the Lord, that his grace, right, is undeserving. When Jonah is swallowed up uh, by this great fish, right, I want you to look. and, And you know what Jonah was? He was undeserving. And we can look at that. He was disobedient and he was undeserving. And the reality reality is that the gospel tells that of us, right? That we are undeserving. And what we see about God is that he is unobligated. There is nothing that God uh, owes Jonah in this midst. He is sinning. He is a rebellious prophet, but we see the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. And the reality is that God owes Jonah nothing and he owes us nothing. But in his great love, the gospel tells us that in his great love, that he gives us everything, that he loves us, then he pursues us, right? The gospel says that you are far worse off than you could ever imagine, that you are further from God than you could ever realize apart from Christ that on your own, that there is nothing that you can do, that you are more wicked and more in desperate need of his mercy and grace than you can imagine. But the reality is that when we see the gospel, it reminds us that we are loved more than we could imagine and that his great love, it's a pursuing love. It's a relentless love. And when we experience God's love in our life and we are changed by the gospel, everything changes in our life. You saw it in Hugh's testimony. We see Jonah in this passage. He's praying out of affliction. His motives, we're going to see in the next chapter, he's going to, we're going to see that the word of the Lord comes a second time into Jonah. And I'm so glad that we serve a God of second chances, that we have those things. But what we're going to see is that Jonah's heart is still far from God's heart. But God's people thrive when our motive is affection and not affliction. The gospel produces that in our lives. It produces obedience out of a love for God, out of an awe of his grace and his mercy and awe of understanding that we were undeserving, but in his grace and his mercy that he sent Jesus and that Jesus died in our place, right? And we 
People that, that love and walk in obedience out of affection, we are constrained, right? The Apostle Paul said the love of Christ compels us or constrains us. We are constrained by the love of God and we are motivated because of his love, not because of fear of affliction or all these other things, but we are motivated because of the grace of God. Jonah's gonna come out of this fish, right? He's gonna come out and he's gonna hear the word of God. And he's gonna go and he's gonna proclaim this message, right? But he's gonna do it out of affliction. He's not gonna do it out of affection. He's still going to hate the Ninevites. He's still bitter at God. We're going to see all those things. And it, it reminds us of religious people, right? That say, you know what? I'm going to go to church on Sunday because I have to, and I'm going to try to check this box because somehow I think if I show up here and if I go to Sunday school, and maybe if I, if I serve in the children's wing and we'd love to have any of you uh, that would love to do that, right? We, we love those people that serve God and do those things in our body, and we need all those things. But I want you to understand something. It's not something that we do to check a box. It's not something that we do to earn favor. It's not something that we do because somehow we are able uh, to, to, to gain favor and stature uh, with, with the Lord. We do this because God has, uh, in his grace and mercy, has saved us, and out of an overflow of love for him, we want to love his people, and we want to serve his people. See, the gospel causes us to love out of a response to the grace of God in our lives. That's what God desires for his people, that we love out of an overflow and a response to his love. See, Jonah's prayer, it seems like repentance at first. We read it, and it's like he's got some nice words in there, and it seems to be good, but it misses the heart of the Father. If you, if you read it, he says, uh, so then... I'll just hit a few verses, right? He says, I cried out from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Uh, I called out of my distress. All these were going on. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I'll look again to your holy temple. I descended to the root of the mountains. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. I will sacrifice. I will do all these kind of things. And so he said, God, you're great. You're big. You're mighty. Lord, you're above all things. You're, you're the great uh, you're the great God that created uh, the sea and dry land. And I think at the end, the Lord is like, I'm going to show you dry land here in just a second. And you're going to come like a torpedo out of this fish going on the dry land. But he says, hey, I, I see all those things. But what we don't see in this passage is, is where he's calling out to God. And he's saying, God, I'm so sorry, Lord, for my sin and for my disobedience. Lord, forgive me. We see David. He says, he says create in me a clean heart of God. He says, listen, search me and try my thoughts and know. He, he, we don't see Jonah crying out and saying, I've sinned against the living and merciful and gracious God. I am in desperate need of your grace. God, forgive me for my rebellion. We don't see that. And here's the truth. See, God's people thrive when we respond to our rebellion in repentance. And for too long, people have said, hey, you repent and believe the gospel. And, and there's, you can never say that too long, by the way. That sounded bad. Because we repent and believe the gospel. But we have looked at that as the finish line of this deal, that we repent in our life one time and we believe the gospel, right? And we come uh, by grace through faith, right? And we, uh, we come uh, and, and experience the mercy and the grace of God. We repent of our sins, right? We turn and we trust Jesus. We believe the gospel, right? But repentance is not a one-time event in the life of a believer, but it should be a characteristic of our lives, right? I'm not there yet. And, and I imagine that the rest of us are not either. And we should respond to our rebellion. When God says, hey, I want you to talk to this person uh, that's in line at, at the store with you. I want you to talk to your neighbor. I, I want you to go and do this. I want you to serve uh, people. When you, whatever those things are, when we rebel against that, right, we should respond in repentance. Because here's the thing, Jesus commands obedience. 
the reality is that the obedience that God requires of us and the obedience that God desires of us is not an obedience from affliction, but an obedience out of affection. Jesus said, if you love me, he said, you'll keep my commands. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see that there's this obedience, there's this new obedience that that Jesus is speaking of, and it's an obedience from the heart. It's a motive, right? It's not just simply the actions that we might do, that we might, and we're going to see Jonah kind of go through those motions, but what we understand is that there's a, a motive that comes from the grace of God in our lives, and he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and the reverse of that says, if you don't keep my commandments, God says, go, and Jonah says, no. And God says, go, and Jason says, no. And we could fill our names in there. God commands us, right? We read his word, right? The secret to the Christian life, if you want to know what it is, it's, it's first having a relationship with Jesus Christ and being born from above, being born again into the family of God. And then we read the word and we do what it says. That's, that's, that's it. We read the word. We do what it says. We repeat the process. We pray. We live out of an overflow of relationship with the Father. David prayed his, his prayer and shared from John 15. He said, we abide in Christ. That's our job. You want to know what you do? You abide. Some of you have heard uh, legalistic kind of things that said what you do is you do this in your life and you do this in your life and you do this in your life and Somehow we think, you know what, if I do all those things, it's going to please God. But what the scriptures teach is that if we'll abide in Christ, that those things will happen in our life, that you'll bear much fruit, and it'll happen naturally out of, of just the, the, the life of the vine, the life of Christ in us, just pressing his life out through us, the branches. And we abide in him. We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We walk with him. We, we, we live, right? We love him. And if we love him, we'll keep his commands. And the reality is that if we don't keep his commands, then it's a heart issue. Sometimes we want to paint it like Jonah. We don't want to confess our sin. We want to say, oh, God, you're great, and you're mercy, and you do all that, but I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. But God desires that we would examine our heart and that we would see, you know what, if we're not walking in obedience, that, that we would repent, right, that we would return to him. And could it be that verse 10 is an indication of God's response to the prayer of this? prophet. He says, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. If the people's hearts were not faithful, God said he would vomit them out. Now God will still use Jonah to accomplish the purpose that he desired, but Jonah's going to miss out on the blessing and the joy of walking in obedience out of love. And every day we reflect on the gospel. We reflect on the grace and mercy of Jesus that has been given to us And out of a response to that, out of time with the Father and knowing his goodness and his mercy and all that we deserve and yet all that's been given to us in Christ, right? We we live different through the gospel. We are saved by the gospel and by the finished work of the cross. And then we live our lives daily in the power of the Spirit out of reflection on the gospel, right? See, Jesus as we sung this morning around right the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He prayed and he went down to the deep with all of the weight of my sin. And I want you to think, I know the times in my life where God has convicted me of my sin and I understand the depths of pain and the depths of hurt and the depths of all those things, man. And Jesus took on all of my sin and all of my shame and the weight of my sin was upon him and it sunk him down to the deep where the weeds of sin were wrapped all around him where all those things were that where the, the bars of death closed, uh, closed on him 
but he died in my place. And we think about the death of Jesus and we think about the burial, right? We don't focus a lot of time uh, on the time that he spent in the tomb because it was swallowed up in victory by the resurrection. And we see just this reality, right? That we celebrate and we look and long and, and, and celebrate the resurrection, the day that God raised Jesus from the grave. And I want to give you some good news this morning. I don't know where you've come. I don't know the things that are in your past and the things that maybe even are in the moments that you are walking through in the world. And people all around you want to say, you know what? You're too far gone. You're too far down. You're too far. You've, you've gone uh, too far. You're, you're outside of the reach of our great and mighty God. But I want you to understand something. When we come to God in repentance, he is not focused on our tomb either. But he is focused on this reality that he reaches down into the pits. And he reaches down into the lowest place. And he raises us up and he raises us up with Christ. Scripture says that we are seated in heavenly places and he says therefore if you've been raised with Christ set your mind on things above. Stop living down here in the midst of the brokenness of this world and living like this world and love Jesus with all your heart. Stay in his word. Get in the midst of that and recognize that his grace and his mercy is greater than anything that we could ever imagine and our call to walk in him is not based in our own strength but on the life of Christ in us that's been given to us. And the question this morning is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you trusted in his grace? In Acts 17, 30, it says the time of ignorance God overlooked, but now, but this time, right, he commands all people everywhere to repent. And the question is, how is your heart, right? And that's the way that God desires us to respond to his word. How is my heart in response to his mercy and in response to his grace? You know, as we heard the words of Hugh, he says, you know what, I'll live my life out of response of his grace. Grace, in light of what God has already done, not what we've done, not what we're going to do, not any of those things, but God desires that we would search our hearts and we would look within them and that we would deal with our sin, right? That we would take serious the commands that he's given us and the call that he's given us to walk in holiness, right? Second Chronicles 7 says, if my people who are called by my name, when God looks at a nation, he looks at his people when he looks and he calls and he says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, right? There's this reality that we, uh, as God's people, that we need to look at our own sin, at our own lives. And we need to take seriously the purity in our private lives that will result in power in our public lives that'll, that'll cause the world to hear the truth. Cause I'd much rather hear uh, a sermon live than just see a sermon preached, right? But those things intersect together as we proclaim the word of God in the goodness of God and he desires right that we would walk in obedience from the heart from aff affection not affliction it's not you know sometimes we read Jonah's prayer and we think you know what he had all these flowery things it, it's not about the right words it's not about the right outfit that somehow we figure out how to put on and go to church it's not about any of those things. It's not about the right words. It's not about uh, any of those external things. It's not about the right things that we do in our life so that we can check a box and we can uh, show somehow uh, how good we are. We can think we earned something by that. God looks in a different lens, right? First Samuel 16 says that, that God sees differently, right? That it, he, he sees not as man sees because God looks at the, or man looks at the outward appearance, but we have a God who looks at the heart and in the power of his spirit, he convicts us. And, and I want to remind you that when we think about our sin and, and we look at our sin and sometimes, man, the weight of our sin, we look back and we see the impact of that sin because we saw with Jonah, right? His sin affected a whole bunch of people. It wasn't just him, right? We see those sailors. We see they're casting things overboard. There are all these things that are going on. And we're reminded that our sin affects all these different people. We see it greater than we could imagine. But in the midst of that, we're reminded, right, in this passage, we're reminded... Uh, 
in, in the grace of God and his mercy, that guilt and the, the weight of all that, that that comes, right, that that doesn't help us, right, that we feel that guilt, but conviction comes from the Lord, and conviction in the power of his spirit, when he allows us to recognize our sinfulness and our need for him, that we can respond in his grace, right, we can respond to his grace and in his mercy, and in his grace, he lavishes his love on us, he reaches down from the depths of where we're at, and he raises us up in his power, and through resurrection power, we live our lives in the power of his spirit, we walk in the spirit and we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We live in obedience to his word. We walk and we listen and we do what he says because we love him and because we've experienced his love. And he invites us into that today. I don't know where you're at this morning. I want to pray for us and we're going to worship God. Uh, Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to pray here in just a moment, but uh, I just want to invite you. I don't know where you're at, but God, uh, I believe God calls us in this very moment to look at our hearts and I pray in the power of his spirit. Uh, God, that he would convict, God, that, he, that, that you would, God, reveal to us, Lord, the, the places in our life, Lord, that are not walking in obedience to you, the places that we need to surrender, Lord, the places that you are calling us to, places you're saying, Jason, go, and Jason's saying no. And our response is, as we heard just a few weeks ago, just to live open-handed before the Lord. God, not your will, or not my will, Lord, but yours be done, Lord. I want to walk in that kind of obedience. And the only way we'll do that is being compelled by the love of Christ. And so if you're here this morning, and you've never trusted Jesus for salvation. You've never repented of your sin and surrendered your life to him. Uh, I want to invite you this morning, not uh, looking back and saying, you know what? I prayed some flowery prayer after a preacher. I did all these kind of things. But I want to ask you, has there been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and you believed the gospel and just surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And if you've not, then this morning, behold, today is the day of salvation. And I pray that God would convict your heart. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're a believer and you uh, are, are walking in your own ways, maybe you're uh, like Jonah and you're saying, you know what? I'm checking these things. I'm doing these things. But, but the heart of it is not uh, to please the Father. The heart of it is not out of affection and love for him. And you just want to confess that and ask God to create in you a clean heart, right? to give you a, to forgive you of your sins. Scripture says if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our God. Maybe he's pursuing you this morning. No matter where you're at, his grace will reach we respond in surrender and repentance. And he changes our lives from the inside out. Father, we pray, God, for your will and way in these moments. Lord, if there's anyone here that's never trusted you for salvation, Lord, I pray, God, today would be a day, uh, Lord, of repentance and surrender. And Lord, I pray that we as your church, God, that we would live wholly surrendered to you open hands. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Because of your grace and your mercy. We present our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Lord, we, we confess this morning how much we need you. Lord, how desperate we are for your for your power in our lives, God, for your spirit to lead us. God, help us to walk in obedience in the power of your spirit. And God, use these people, God, to change, to shake this world, to shake their circle of influence, their families, for the glory of your name. 
Lord, we love you. We ask for your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in worship this morning? If God speaks to your heart, we'd love to pray with you.